0: And uh, let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for a gorgeous day out, beautiful day. Thank you for allowing us to be here to open your book and to look at it, to study, to see the uniqueness of it. We thank you that you've given it to us. You've given us a record of your faithfulness over the years and you've given us a record of what it is that you require of us and how to have a relationship with you. We thank you for this book. And I pray that as we study it in the next few weeks that we will gain a deeper appreciation for the wonder of it, and the uniqueness of it and the value of it in Christ's name, amen. Um, Some of the things we'll be studying in this particular 13-week series or so about is we'll be looking at the uniqueness of the Bible, what makes it different than other books. Um, We'll be looking at the history of it, how did it come about. We'll also be looking at um, Bible versions, translations, all those kind of things. A lot of people say, what version of the Bible should I use? What translation should I use? We'll be looking at those kind of things. We'll be looking at how it's been transmitted through the years to us. And I think what we'll find as we go through that is we'll gain a great appreciation for how God has preserved his word. God has uh, preserved it over the years. This is something that we can be very confident in because of its high accuracy. And also we'll be understanding some of its power to us. So it's going to be a good study and uh, I think you'll enjoy it quite a bit um, as we work down through the uh, the study. So the first class here is to look at the uniqueness of the Bible. What makes this book different than others? Um, there's a lot of religious books out there that we have. Um, you've got the uh, Mary Baker, Edders, Eddie Patterson, Glover, Fry Ford, Key to the Scriptures. Um, that's Christian Science. Yeah, she was married, what, six, seven times. If I was, you know, if I was getting down one of the fifth or sixth husbands, I'd start worrying a little bit, saying, you know, this lady's going through quite a few of these guys. I wonder if I'm next. But, uh, she had a few husbands. Um, but, uh, she has key to the scriptures. Then we have the Book of Mormon, along with their Doctrine and Covenants and Pearl of Great Price. We also have, um, you know, you look at the Koran, you look at the Indian scriptures, you look at a lot of different books. And, uh, a lot of, people want to just say, well, the Bible is just one of those. That's the approach of the History Channel. You know, you get on the History Channel, the Bible is just one book of many religious books over the years. And, you know, we know it's full of myths. We know it's full of stories. We know it's full of inaccuracies. And uh, it's interesting. I haven't, I don't think I've ever seen on the History Channel, the Discovery Channel, a single program that really affirmed the historicity of the Bible. All of them question it. That's the way they start out. They start out questioning that this is... The word of God, because see, if you get rid of this, you don't have any way back to God, right? I mean, this is God's revelation to us. So Satan will do anything he can to downplay this book or to confuse it. And the way he confuses it is the more voices you have out there claiming to be truth, the more easy it is for someone to miss this one.
1: Yeah. So-called Oh yeah.
0: Well, in Matthew 7, you know, the scariest passage in the Bible says there's two ways, the broad and a narrow. There's a broad way. The broad way is big. Anybody can get on it. And at the entranceway to the broad and narrow way, there are false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And what are they saying? It's this way to heaven. Take the broad way. You don't have to take the narrow way. That's tough. That's hard. You know, let's take the Broadway. You can come on the Broadway and we'll all get there because there's all, all kinds of paths back to God. That's what's being said today in our pluralistic society. You've got a way back to God and I've got a way back to God and everybody's got a way back to God and we're all going to get there. But Christ says very clearly in Matthew 7 that there's only one way that gets to heaven. All the rest of them go to destruction. And we have a lot of broad gate prophets today who say, let's go this way.
1: Oh, and that's true yesterday, um, yesterday on when, Friday, whenever Chris Creek was, um, this lady came and she brought um, a track, and it was a black tower, mm-hmm. and, and I read it, and it was just all oh, wrong.
0: Yeah, well, you know, they they don't come, you got to understand, these guys don't come to your door, or women now, come to your door and say, hi, uh, we're going to hell, we want you to go with us. We want you to go with us to hell. They don't do that. They say we want you to go to heaven or whatever it is, you know. They think they're going to heaven. They think they're on the right way, but there is only one way, and that one way is found in the Word of God. There isn't any other way. Christ said, I am the door. He didn't say I'm a door, right? He said, I'm the door. Christ said, I am the way. He didn't say, I'm a way back to God. I'm one of many ways back to God. In fact, if you're just sincere, you know, God will let you in. He'll be all right. He said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. And I'm the life. And when he says that, he's saying, I am the opposed to many. See, there's a lot of error out there. There's one truth. There's a lot of ways to hell. There's one way to heaven. And where we find it is in this book. We don't find it anywhere else. They had scriptures
1: in there, but they had scriptures. That, um, that didn't
0: retain to uh, the mm-hmm. right thing. Yep, and see, that's, that's the danger with some of these. You know, they'll throw the Bible out. And, um, you know, I, I told you about the, the Mormon lady at work, and I asked her, I said, you, you know, you believe the Bible? She said, sure, I do. I said, no, you don't. Yeah, I do. 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 No, you don't. She doesn't believe it, because she believes it in as much as that's what the church tells her it says. All right, but she doesn't believe it in as much as it is, it is truth and everything else is error. The Bible is the book by which you measure everything else. All right, that's that's the bottom line. This book is what you measure everything else with. And any other voice out there that says, yeah, but we've got a different way. We've got a different. We've got newer revelation. That's the big deal. We've got newer revelation that helps us understand this. and Mormonism will itself say we've got newer revelations that supersedes what the Bible says. Run from that. She believes what the church tells her to believe about it. All right, Catholicism is the same way. Catholicism, you, you, you get your average Catholic on the road, and you ask them, do you believe the Bible? Absolutely. But what they believe about the Bible is what the magisterium, the church tells them that it says. It's not what it says, it's what they're told it says. All right, And that's one of the things that separated in, in the New Testament the Bereans from everybody else. The Bereans listened to Paul, but then they went back and checked the scripture to see if it were so. And that's your job. That's my job. That's our job. Is to compare what is being said with scripture. And by the way, the Bible is not an incomprehensible code book to figure out. One of the things we'll be doing, um, probably in the next class after this one, is to look at how to study the Bible. How can you read this and understand it and study it? There are principles that everybody in here can apply that will unlock this book to you. It's not. It's God did not. You understand? God did not encode His truth. God wants you to find it. It's not something that God encodes. That's why this Bible code stuff is just a big pile of garbage because you're telling me that we can't figure the Bible out until somebody invented a computer? That doesn't make any sense. God does not encode his truth. God wants you to find it. God wants you to know this book a lot worse than you do. And he's not going to make it difficult for you. You may take a little bit of effort to unlock some of the deeper truths, but anybody can do that. Anybody in here be a Bible scholar. Anybody in here can, can understand this book. Everybody in here. Because you have the Holy Spirit. Who gives you understanding in the Word of God? The Holy Spirit. It's not your great intellect. It's not your brain. It's not your in- intelligence. It's the Holy Spirit that will open this book to you. And we'll find out how to do that.
1: Yeah. I a weird question. Does God, in a way, set, set a governor as to how much
0: I think he does that, I think he does that in the sense that um, he, he how, how can I put this? I think it goes along with your spiritual maturity. You know, God does not dump deep theological truths on a brand new Christian any more than you would take home your five year old son and dump the truths of the universe on him. You know, there's certain things he can understand, there's certain things he don't. He can't. He will grow, right?
1: is that regardless
0: of the effort of the person that's really trying? The harder you try, the more you will grow. I mean, you know, the question is, you need to cooperate with the Spirit of God. You're not going to understand the Bible if you don't read it, right? right, And you're not going to understand the Bible if you don't study. Mm -hmm. Um, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, study to show thyself approved to God. And the word for study there, spude, means to work hard to the point of being tired. Um, it's not our daily bread for five minutes a day you're going to be a Bible scholar you need to be in it but God will open the truth to you and and what happens is as you grow and mature God will reveal more and more of his truth now this is in the New Testament remember he talked about the milk as opposed to the meat Okay, he said it's, it's okay to be on milk if you're a new Christian it's okay to be on that but if you've been a Christian for 25 years and you're still drinking milk there's a problem and the writer of Hebrews and Peter also says you need to get beyond the milk stage to the meat stage. You need to grow and mature in your spiritual faith. There are certain doctrinal concepts that need to be wrestled with over the years. All right. And, uh, you know, I'm wrestling with them now. And if I'm when I'm 80, if I live that long, I'll still be wrestling with some things. But. As I grow and mature, I learn more and more. God reveals more and more and God reveals his truth to those who want to find it. What did Isaiah say? You will seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. You want to know God's truth? He will reveal it. All right, but he's not going to, you know, dump it all on you at one shot. Did that answer your question?
1: They have a, a, a call
0: you learn line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precepts, precepts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Line upon line, precept upon. You learn, you grow, and and the the operative concept is that you're learning. That's the operative concept: is that you keep pushing at it, you keep working at it, and God, you know, as time goes on, God gives you more and more understanding and and that's part of spiritual growth. I don't believe the same things today that I did ten years ago. All right. Now, all the basics are right. You know, I haven't changed my view on the deity of Christ and the blood atonement and stuff like that, but I have been refined in some of my other understandings of certain doctrines of the Bible as I've studied over the years. I've matured and hopefully I'll change even more in the next ten years, you know. But that's the thing about the Word of God. It's, almost, it's an infinite book, in a sense. It's a book that can be read by a new believer and they can understand stuff in it. And it can be read by someone who's been a Christian for 70 years and they're still finding out new things. Alright? And that's the wonder of it. Okay? Because it's an infinite book. And it's taught to you by the Holy Spirit who gives you understanding.
1: Is, is the Holy Spirit revealing to you, like, I've read certain uh, scriptures. And then I'll read it again and something will jump out at it, me. Mm-hmm. It's called
0: illumination. That's what the Holy Spirit does. I've done the same thing. Um, I remember, you know, just take an you know, example for me is the Book of Romans. Um, I've taught through the Book of Romans probably, I think, about six or seven times. I can't remember. And every time I go through it, I find out something I didn't see there before. I say, how did I miss that?
1: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, and somebody says, well, do you understand the Book of Romans? Oh, sure I do. And then I read through it and say, wait a minute. Where'd that come from? Yeah and, and that's the Holy Spirit that, that gives you, you know, now it's, again, it's not changing your basic theology. That's not what we're talking about here. okay? We're talking about a deeper understanding and a refinement of the things that we already know. All right? And um, um, one of the things too that we need to keep in mind is that there comes a point in some theological issues that we may never get the answer this side of heaven, right? You may not figure this one out. You may not sort it out. You know, uh, doctrine of, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, supposedly. I mean, that's a toughie. You know, that's something you can wrestle with till you're 180 and you might not sort it out totally. All right, because there are some mysteries that, and that's, that's because God is infinitely above and beyond and incomprehensible to us. But there's a lot of stuff we can know. And we need to make the effort to do it because the Bible is unique. It is the source of truth for us. And we got to understand this is the source of truth. And what I mean by that, it's not a source of truth when it comes to man, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to God. This is not one source of many sources. That's one of the things that's being said today. Well, this is one of the sources of, of help. And a lot of this is in the, you know, and I beat on the counseling and psychological arena a little bit. But a lot of times when you go into counseling, they'll, they'll do anything but look at this. I mean, they'll start out with all kinds of psychological theories and on and on and on. And finally, when nothing worse, well, I guess we'll have to look at the Bible. Maybe it'll tell us something. Look, you can start with the Bible. <laughs> you don't have to end with the Bible. You start with it. Because this is the only valid source of truth. If you want to find out what mankind is really like in his heart, where are you going to find that out? You're going to find it in the scripture. You're not going to find it in the psychological theory, right? Because what, what, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The heart is deceitful and the one thing about your heart is it will fake you out. It will make you think that you're something that you're not. It's very good at that. And we all do that to a large extent. You know, if somebody says... I. How spiritual you are on a scale of zero to 100, if we pick any number above a one, we've deceived ourselves. Because we always con ourselves into thinking we're better than we are. The heart is deceitful. This will tell you what you're really like. This will tell you what mankind is. Re- and they'll tell you what your real problem is. You know, the reason people are guilty about sin today is because they sinned. It's not because they need to just keep doing it until they don't feel guilty anymore. We've got to go to this book, and it's unique because it is the source of truth. So let's look at that a little bit. When you look at the Bible, one of the things that makes it unique is its, un- its unity. It is diverse yet unified. When you look at all of the books in the Bible, for example, it's written, well, over a period of about 1,500 years. Somewhere around in there, that's about the best guess. The last book was written somewhere around A.D. 95, that would be the book of Revelation. And the first book was probably the book of Job written back in the patriarchal days, um, well back into the 1400s, if not earlier, B.C. So you've got a long span of books that are written there. You've got some of the Old Testament that's written, the time of Moses around 1200 B.C. is the time of Moses. Um, That's where you get the books of the Pentateuch. You've got the prophets in there in the 600s. You've got Daniel writing in the... 500s. You've got the New Testament rewritten in the first century. So you've got a long span of time and yet there's a singular unity to it. Even though it's written by many different authors, there's a common theme. And as you read it, it's almost like it's written by one author. And in fact, it is, right? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is superintended. We're going to talk about what inspiration is and what illumination is. But the Holy Spirit is a singular author, even though he used many different men over many different years. Written by over 40 different authors. That's interesting. 40 different people wrote this book. You've got Matthew writing. You've got Moses. You've got Psalms of David. All right? You've got Psalms, Psalms of Asaph. He wrote part of it in, in, in the book of um, Psalms. Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel you got all these different people writing, and yet there's a common theme. And not only are there 40 different guys writing, they're writing from all over the world. This is not some people sitting in one geographical area. You've got Matthew writing over in the Roman Empire. You've got Daniel writing in the Babylonian Empire. You've got others writing from Palestine, all over the place. And yet there's a singular message to the scripture. And it's written from the vantage point of many different cultures. These were people in different cultures, different times, different languages, different situations, different historical situations, different empires. And yet all of them write from a singular perspective because it is the Holy Spirit who is superintending the transmission of Scripture. Written using many different styles. And this is interesting. You know, e- even though the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture, He did not Override the different language and literary styles of the authors. For example, you can read John and you can pick John out from Luke because John sounds like John and Luke sounds like Luke and they use different vocabulary and different language and different styles. Paul is a lot different than John and yet, when you see the message, it is a singular message. And that's what inspiration is. Inspiration is God's it being born along, the word there means to fill a sail with wind and to push a boat along. The Holy Spirit pushed these authors along so that what they wrote was not only of their own experiences, of their own culture, their own language, but it was also the word of God. It wasn't God calling down from heaven to Paul, take a letter. He born Paul was born along by the Holy Spirit. Its message is singular and unique. There's nothing like it. You know, most religious books are written by one person, right? You look at the Quran, that was written by Muhammad. You look at some of the other religious works of the book, works of the world, they're written by a singular author. The Bible is written by 40 different guys, 1,500 years, 40 different cultures, 40 different histories, and yet the message is singular. That should tell you that there's something different about this book as opposed to all others. It's a unique book. It's also unique in the sense that it's indestructible. The indestructibility. Why is that? Well, God preserved it. And this is something really important to understand. God did not only transmit to us scripture, He preserved it for us. Alright? He kept it from being destroyed. And when you look at this, it's amazing how God has superintended even events of history to make sure that His Word was kept and transmitted. And even in the Old Testament, when an evil king decided to take the book that Jeremiah wrote and cut it up and burn it in the fire, God gave Jeremiah the book again and, and added a few curses for the king on it. You don't want to do that if you're a king, really. That's in the book of Jeremiah. The king cut it up. He didn't like what Jeremiah said, so he took a penknife out, sliced it up, and burned it in the fire. And God said, That's okay. We'll write a new one, and I'm going to add some stuff in here about this guy. And, uh,. By the way, it all came true. The Bible survived in spite of the political persecutions of the Roman Empire who tried to stamp it out. Throughout the years, people have tried to stamp out the scripture. They've tried to to get rid of it. They've tried to burn it. They've tried to destroy it. And you know, it just it can't be destroyed because God is superintending its its existence you look at the ebb and flow in the Middle East, you've got empires coming, empires going, kingdoms rising, kingdoms falling. And yet, what is always there? The Word of God. It's always being preserved. It's always being kept. It's always... No other book of ancient history, by the way, has this. I think Dan Sams talked about this a few weeks back, months back. When you look at the, um, the textual evidence for the Bible... We have manuscripts going back to 900 A.D. for the New Testament. And then they found the Dead Sea Scrolls that went back to 200 B.C. And guess what? They're identical, virtually identical. They did a word study on it and found that ninety nine point nine percent was absolutely identical. And the only differences were a couple of grammar changes because the grammar changed over the years and a couple and some few spelling errors here and there. No theology was changed, no no doctrine was changed. Virtually identical. And I remember you know reading a book when, when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, all the liberal scholars were just going ape over this idea that now we can show just how you know corrupt the Bible is. And to their shock and horror, they found out that what we had from nine hundred AD was virtually identical with what we had from two hundred BC. Same thing. God preserved his word. Yeah. Well
1: mm-hmm.
0: I I remember reading that on the Fox News site and it said something about now, you know, it shows proof that King David was real and it's like, well
1: duh. <laughs>
0: Read the Bible. I mean, where, where, where you know, see. But see, that's the. You got to understand something about, about the liberal scholar. The liberal scholar starts out. This is not true until you prove it to me. Now they don't do that with any other ancient books. But they do it with this one. In spite of the evidence, they do it with this one. It's not. On, it's not true until you prove that it is. That's baloney. But
1: it's a nice compliment. Yeah, it is.
0: That is. And, and somebody said every, every time they turn over a spade of dirt in the Middle East, it just proves this book again and again and again.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, this is indestructible. It is, it is true. It has is, it is weathered the ebb and flow of human history because God has preserved his word. And not only has preserved its existence, he's preserved its accuracy. That's We're going to talk about that. Okay? When you look at the New Testament, we've got 25,000 fragments of the New Testament. 25,000. That is like two orders of magnitude greater than any other book of the ancient time. The problem with, the, with it is not that we don't have too little, it's almost that we have too much. It's hard to sort it all out. And you know what? We can reconstruct it to an accuracy level of almost 100%. We'll talk about that. We'll talk how that works. But you don't have to worry about, man, I'm missing some scripture. I'm missing a book. I'm missing some verses. Because that's one of the things, by the way, that's one of the things that a lot of these false religions and cults will toss on you. Mormonism does that. Mormonism says, yeah, this is the book of, this is the Word of God, but it's been altered over the years. Alright? It's been altered. Because I asked them, I said, well, where do you come up with all these oddball doctrines like, you know, pre existence of the spirits? Where do you come up with celestial marriage? Where do you come up with all these doctrines? Well, they used to be taught, but uh, they were edited out of the scripture. We know they've been edited out because People didn't like them. And it's like, what evidence do you have for that? The answer is they don't have any. They don't have any evidence. John Smith. Joseph Smith. John Smith. The, yeah, there's no, there's zero evidence that this book has been altered. There's only been one group that's altered this book, and that's the Jehovah Witnesses. No one else has altered it. In fact, you can go back in the manuscripts we have from 200 A.D. all the way through to 1400 A.D., are virtually identical. There's no evidence that there's been any wide-scale tampering. And not only that, but we have all the quotes of the early church fathers. You can reconstruct the New Testament from just their quotes. And there's nothing missing, folks. We're not missing any pieces of the Bible. You're not missing a book. You know, you see that, you get a book, of the lost books of the Bible. There isn't any lost books of the Bible. This is the books that God wants you to have. We'll talk about canonization. And how did we get with these, this number here? You're not, you're not, the point is, you're not missing any information. God is not keeping anything from you. And by the way, I was, in Mormonism, I was reading a story about how Joseph Smith lost part of the Book of Mormon because he, he misplaced the manuscript and lost it. And he had a revelation from God that God was just so upset about him being careless that God said, I'm not going to give it back to you.
1: Laughter now think
0: about that, but not too long. It's silly. It borders on silliness, but there's people that believe that. All right. Um, the many persecutions of the Middle Ages. Here's the many assaults by modern philosophies. And that's one of the things. Modern philosophy tries to destroy this book. From the demythologizing demytho- of, of Bart and all them, all the way down. we got to get rid of the myths of the Bible. Get rid of the miracles. We, we can't believe this. This didn't exist. That didn't exist. And on and on and on. It survived all of them. And survived the constant attacks of the cults. God has preserved his word. There's something about this book that keeps it from being destroyed. Because God wants his word to be preserved. And we're going to see how God has done that over the years. The historical accuracy of the Bible... Um, this is one of the things that's been assaulted in the late 1800s. You can read books. You go back and read books about them questioning this and questioning that. And well, the Bible can't be true because we don't have any evidence for this or that or the other thing, well, there's a few things that um, I just tossed up here. I have a couple more. The Hittites and Abraham It used to be very vogue early on in the 1800s that the Bible can't be true because there's no record of a Hittite culture. Can't find it. Can't find the name. Don't know. They never existed. Therefore, the Bible must not be true. All right. And then they dug up the library of the Hittite culture. And found out that not only indeed did the Hittite culture live, but it was a very large empire that lived, that was in existence right around the time of Abraham. All right. And, they, and, it's, and it's interesting. Um, one of the things they said, well, you know, the, the name Abraham, you know, that, that couldn't have been. Nobody was named Abraham. Guess what they found on the stones? On tablets, the name Abraham. Then they said, "Well, Abraham, you know that's a mythological story because uh, you know people didn't travel like that in those days. You know, they didn't go from Babylon all the way over to the Middle East. You know, there was just no travel in those days." Uh, and then they dug up another tablet that had a chariot contract, sort of like Hertz rent a chariot from the <laughs> early centuries. And uh, it said, "You re- those who rent this chariot can't take it to the to the Mediterranean Sea. You know." So they, they found commerce that went all over this area. Um, and then it's interesting you know, as you read through the book of Genesis, this is, this is what makes the Bible unique. I understand how it makes it unique. The Bible describes history as it was. So one of the things you do when you read through the book of Genesis, you come up on Genesis, I think 17. They've got this really weird passage about Abraham and God making a covenant with Abraham. Remember that where Abraham is supposed to take the animals? And supposed to cut them in two and lay them on the rock and you scratch your head and saying what in the world is that that doesn't make any sense that's weird and Then you find out on these Hittite laws and contracts and that that one of the ways that you bound the contract in the hittite culture to make a binding contract is that you and whoever you were going to make a contract with you would cut an animal in two and you both would walk through the middle of the cut pieces of the animal and that's sort of like sealing the deal and you said if you do that then if one of you breaks the contract you should be cut in two like the animal and what did God do in 17 who went through the pieces of the animal remember God did Abraham didn't which means what God made the contract; it didn't depend on Abraham. It's an unconditional contract made by God. But they didn't. That was a really a weird kind of thing until they dug up. Yeah, that's the way they did contracts in those days. When did they start discovering the 1900s, early 1900s and on. I um, mean, you can look this up. It's the Ebla tablets and the Nuzi tablets. in UZI and Ebla. Um, they, it's, it's fascinating what they dug up out of there. Another thing they dug up is. Um, you know, you read the account of Sarah and Hagar, right? And you scratch your head and try to figure out why in the world did Sarah want Hagar to have a son for her? That didn't, that's weird. Well, they dug up more tablets and they found out that in those days, one of the things in those days is very important to have an heir, a male heir to pass your property on to. But what happens if you don't have a male heir? Well, according to the Hittite law, a male heir... Um, if you didn't have a male heir, your property would revert to your servant. Right? So what was Abraham worried about? Eleazar was going to get the property. Because that was the law. It would revert to Eleazar. But if if you wanted to have a male heir, your wife could select someone to bear a child in her name for you. Your wife had the option of finding someone to bear a surrogate child in a sense for her. And that would become then your legal heir, as though it was yours. Even though your wife did not bear the child, she could have someone bear a child in her name. So what did Sarah do? She had, she chose Hagar to bear a child in her name to be the heir. All right. That was a legal thing to do. All right. And see, one of the things that used to confuse me, said, well, Abraham was such a man of faith. Why did he do that? But well, what was he doing? He was operating within the culture, within the laws of the culture. And what I really find out, what I really come to understand there, is that it's not that Abraham didn't believe that God would give him an heir, it's how would God give him an heir. Alright? And the point is, whenever you try to help God out, you're going to follow it up every time. Okay. So Abraham was just trying to help God out, and God says, No, you don't need my help. It's going to be Sarah, not Hagar. And that's why we have the Arab problem today. Because Abraham decided, I'm going to give God a hand. I'm going to help God out. And he followed it up. But, understand, he was operating within the legal boundaries of that culture. That, that was valid. No, he wasn't being defiant. He wasn't being disobedient. He wasn't even being a man of no faith. He was just saying, well, maybe this is the way God's going to provide for me. And you've got to understand, God appeared to Abraham when he was 75, then he appeared again when he was, um, I forget, the, about 85. And then he didn't appear again until he was 99. It's not like God appeared to Abraham every other day. And from the time God promised Abraham a child at age 75 to the time he delivered at age 100, that's 25 years. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not that Abraham didn't believe God. It's Abraham believed, how is God going to do it? And that's what...
1: Could you could say that about today.
0: Yeah, we do the same thing. One of the things, yeah, one of the things, I'm sorry.
1: We are not protected to do what's culturally right.
0: We need to do what God has called us to do and not to worry about how to give God a hand. God God likes difficult situations, you know that. I mean, he likes when Elijah went up there and dunked, you know, all that water on the offering. Just made it. Just so you could, no one could say that, you know, he snuck something in there. God likes impossible situations because then that shoes, proves that he is who he is. All right. But within the culture, it's interesting. When we dig up these tablets, we find out all of these stories in the Bible that we, you know, we scratch our heads and what's going on. They start making sense because we understand that Abraham lived in his culture. One of the things he did, remember when he bought the cave of Mac the cave to bury his wife and they wanted to sell him the field? And he disputed that. Well, they found back in those days that if you were a landowner under the Hittite culture, part of, your, part of your duty was to provide men for the army. And he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to provide men for the Hittite army. And, and you start seeing some of these nuances as you read through it, Scripture. You start seeing, ah, that's what's going on. But the point is, the Bible was right all along. We just need to do a little bit more spade work. Somebody else had their hand up. Yeah. I
1: was just going to say that not only was Abraham operating within his cultural understanding, but he was being very logical about the reality Mm
0: of life. Yeah. And it's easy for us, especially in our
1: culture, to think in terms of doing the logical, reasonable thing.
0: Yep, that's why you need to be on your knees a lot. Because, you know, a lot of times we think, we think we're think we doing the right thing when we're not. Abraham didn't have the Bible either. He didn't have the Bible. And again, we do. We don't have, any, we don't have much of an excuse.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. And you got to understand, again, God appeared to Abraham. God did not appear to Abraham every day. You know, God appeared like three or four times before Isaac was born. That's not a lot. Yeah, especially over 25 years. I mean, God promised you a son and then you don't listen. You don't hear anything for 12 years. Well, what are you going to do? You know, what are you going to think? Yeah, you think maybe, maybe I need to do something. Maybe he's waiting for me to do something. And that's when Hagar shows up. And, yeah. Yeah. You gotta watch that. Sometimes when you try to help God out of a difficult situation, you just make it worse. God does not need our assistance to pull things off. Alright? He can do it plain on his own. But
1: isn't it faith plus works?
0: It's faith plus works if God is if you have a have an understanding that that is what God wants you to do, and you've prayed it over and you feel God's leading, that's different.
1: We don't always hear even if we are.
0: And that's why you need to ask God to help you not make a mistake. That's how, that's what I've done many a time. I said, Lord, don't let me follow this thing up. Keep me from making a blunder. Because again, you're right. It's so easy to think, I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the right thing.
1: Sometimes
0: it's spiritual glory above beyond our ability. hmm It's it's why we need to really no. And and again, are you going to make mistakes? Sure, of course you are, but. You know, I think as we spend more and more time on our knees in prayer, and, and again, the biggest thing, some people have asked me, you know, how do I know if I'm not making a mistake? Well, ask God to not let you make one. we I mean, honor that. Lord, don't let me foul this thing up. Don't let me make a mistake. And I remember a lot of times when I was felt, you know, pushed to do one thing, and I, I pray, Lord, you know, don't let me foul this thing up. Don't let me make a mistake. And I delayed my action and found out that, that was a good thing I did that because if I would have gone ahead with what I thought I would do, I'd make a mistake. There's no secrets here, but God does lead us. If we're really sincere about doing what He wants us to do, I think He'll give us the path to go. Again, God wants us to do His will a lot worse than we want to do it, right? So He's not going to hide it. He's not going to make it difficult. and I going to say, can I trick Him into making a wrong decision this time? That's not how God operates
1: go through. Yeah.
0: And when a because he did not listen to God. He listened, but he didn't listen. Yeah.
1: With us when things don't go right, if we look back, we you can't agonize over it. You can realize that over time maybe you have set these situations up. Uh, (coughs) I I don't think uh, following God we didn't have done the wrong things. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I mean, our yeah. right are, uh, uh,
0: God, God wants you to do the right thing. And if you're serious about doing the right thing, He will make it clear to you.
1: they
0: the same thing that we face. Mm-hmm. Different situation, different time, but it's the same things that we face today. Yeah. We look um, some more here. The universal flood stories throughout human history. There have been universal flood stories, and by the way, it's a universal flood, not a local one, just so you understand. Yeah. I'm tired of these so-called Bible scholars coming along, like Hugh Ross, and saying, "Well, it was just a local flood." Bologna was a local flood. How long did it take Noah to build the ark? <laughs> David, D- Dave, how many miles a day can you hike? And not to get tired, just, just mowsing along. Okay, 18 miles a day. Okay, 18 miles a day times 120 years, you could walk around the equator ten times. I think I figured it out one time. Ten times. If it was a local flood, why did God have him build a boat? Why didn't God just tell him to take a hike? Right? You can walk a long way in 120 years. If you go one mile a day, you can still go a long way. Yeah. <laughs> this local flood stuff is nonsense. And by the way, what God says is, I'm going to erase. that's the word there is an interesting Hebrew word. It means to take, it's like erasing a, a piece of parchment. You wipe off the parchment what is there. God says, I'm going to erase life from the globe. Does that sound like a local flood to you? No. No, it's not a local flood. Don't let anybody give you this local flood nonsense. Yeah. Why do you collect the animals? Just have them hike with you. You know. I mean, it's it, the, 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 it's absurd when you, when you look at this and the, and the people trying to trying to get around this. It's it's because they don't have any confidence. Because they don't have any confidence in this book. <clears throat> Yeah. Here's another one. How many days did it take God to create the earth? Six. 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 He rested on the seventh. And how long were those days? Twenty-four hours. Or thereabouts. Say, oh, no, it took God a geological age. I mean, he had to evolve all the plants. Okay, why did he evolve the plants on day three and then the sun show up to give them life on day four? That's that's just a statement that um, God makes that says He's above time. To Him, there's no time. God is beyond time. Yeah. His God does not understand. God does not experience time like we experience time. God is eternal. Okay. But when you look at um, the Genesis, it says, "Evening and morning, day one." Well, what's an evening and a morning? Yeah, it's not the, an evening of an age, a day of, that doesn't make any sense. And, and when God came along and he instituted the Sabbath day rest, remember? He said, six days, the Lord made the earth you rest some. I don't see us working six eons and resting the seventh eon. All right. The point is, when you when you look at the biblical text, you look at the biblical information, there is zero evidence, zero not a zilch, nothing there that would tell you that this is a geological age. It's a day. Two things.
1: Um, the, the scripture actually says... One day with the Lord is as, as it right. is right. It's a comparative. Mm-hmm. And secondly, archaeology from uh, around the world have discovered equally within the Earth's strata, this area of the strata that demonstrates a universal flood because mm-hmm. it's been from various places. And men are ignorant.
0: They're willfully ignorant. As Peter says they're willfully ignorant. But the Bible's true. You know? Yeah. We had affirmation of what
1: Sam had said when we were out in Sandy Rocky mm-hmm. um, twice. And one time it was with our tour guide on a boat trip around Mountain Lake. She explained how they have found so many thousand feet of a uh, layer of sea fossils. Mm-hmm. And then we are at 7,000 feet in Bath. And there's a narrative on the, you know, the. Yeah. When, when the
0: Bible spe- the Bible is not a book on science but when it speaks of science it's right okay yeah God did not give you the complete set of scientific it's not a book on nuclear physics that's why god did not give us that but well, when it speaks of that, Obliquely, it's it's accurate. It says God, the things that are seen are made by things that are not seen, and when you get down to the basic building blocks of of existence, it's just energy. It's not it's invisible. It's not seen. God did not give us a primer on nuclear physics, but he's right when it comes. To we'll see that in a minute. Another historical figure, Belshazzar. They said he didn't exist. You know, remember Daniel, Belshazzar? He didn't exist. Couldn't find him. In fact, we know what the last king of Babylon was. It was not Belshazzar. It was his father. I think it was Nabonidus, if I got the name right. He was the last king. Well, you know, they dug up a few bricks, and guess what he found on the brick? Belshazzar. And not only did that, they found out that Belshazzar was the resident king in Babylon. His father was the king out on the battlefield. So when Belshazzar says to Daniel, I will make you third ruler in the kingdom, what was he saying? Well, my father's one i'm two you'll be number three office it's all there you just need to dig up a few more bricks you know before you figure it out i remember the, i had to laugh on the one um they they had a guy Tiglath Pileser the third that's a real that's a name you need to remember some called tp3 his name is pull in the bible it's in pul in, in the scriptures in an Assyrian king Um, And then there's another one, Shalmaneser V. He's another Assyrian king. He said, well, he didn't exist. Couldn't find him. Didn't exist. So some guy's digging around the Middle East. He falls through a hole in the desert, and guess where he winds up? In the guy's throne room. All right? It's all there, folks. It's all there. The Bible is accurate. Anytime somebody's come along and said the Bible is historically inaccurate, they've dug something up and find out, it's true. Because it's God's word, of course it would be true.
1: God always does.
0: Yeah, the Exodus, they found evidence of that. They have a stele called, the, I think it's the Minerpta stele. It's a big stone pillar. And on that talks about one of the kings who, one of the pharaohs who had a vision that he would be king. The problem is he wasn't the one in line, but he was right around the time of the Exodus. And many Bible scholars have understood that his brother who was in line for the king was the one killed in the Exodus. And he became the king instead of his brother. It talks about that. And they find out that for a period of about 40 years, the Egyptian empire was severely weakened. Right around the time of the, well, of course you got your army wiped out. Of course you'd be weak. I mean, it's all all there in history. It's all there in in the spade of the archaeologists. Sir William Ramsey went through the book of Acts and was able to trace not only Paul's journeys, but actually all the cities and they actually used the book of acts to figure out certain certain of the cities in Paul's time folks the bible is historically accurate whenever it speaks of an historical event or a person or an event it's accurate there's not there's not one verifiable singular error in the scripture it's just not there yeah.
1: but because of those folks who want to just desperately disprove that mm-hmm. statement Uh, There are certain examples where without study, if you're just looking to criticize, you could say, aha, such as, for instance, the uh, uh, accounts in the Gospels relative to Peter's uh, denials, and one Gospel will have it be uh, a crowd that he's denying in front of, or two. Other gospel, it's, it's a, a female or a young maiden. Another, it's, it's men. Well, duh, crowds consist of women and men. Right. So it, it was just not a conflict. But, I mean, there are many, many examples where it could appear, if I want to, not believe the Bible. Right.
0: That's very important that you said there, because this happens a lot in the gospels. All right? But you got to understand, the gospels are written by four guys from a different perspective. Exactly. All right. And just as you we could go out and we could uh, we could pick four people at random. You could go out and watch the Browns football game, come back, you get four different accounts of the game because you see it from a different perspective. All right. It's not that anybody is wrong. Right. You see it from a different perspective. All right. And and you can create like like Sammy said, you can create supposed contradictions. But when you really look at them, they're not contradictions at all. They're just a different perspective. Pardon? No. No. Too many nut jobs over there right now. Um, let's look at scientific accuracy here. This is one of the big things. You know, we're, we're a culture of science and science is a big deal and, and that. And l- Let's look at it from the, hist- from the scientific perspective. You can look these verses up if you want. Isaiah forty twenty It is he who sits on the sphere of the earth. The word there in Hebrew circle that's translated in the King James is sphere. Now, where did they get that? When did they figure out the earth was round? Yeah, much later than the book of Job, the book of Isaiah, right? A whole lot, a whole lot later than that. Now, again, the Bible is not a book on... Science is not there to give you a description of what the earth looks like, but when it does speak of that, it's accurate. God sits upon the sphere, the circle of the earth. He, it's it's round. The earth is round. Job says the earth is suspended on nothing. He hangs the earth on nothing. Guess what? We're hung on nothing. All right. Now, that's that's a whole lot better than the Hindu scriptures. It says the earth sits on the back of giant elephants. And earthquakes happen when the elephants move. I'm not making that up. That's what they believe. Or better yet, you know, what about, you know, you you sail to the edge of the earth and you fall off. You know, that's the big problem with Columbus, right? You ever see Pirates of the Caribbean 3? You know, that's the one where they go off the edge, you know, down to Davy Jones' locker. That's sort of cool, but Anyways, uh, the Earth is suspended on nothing. Now, where did Job figure that one out? God-pulling. All right? The stars are innumerable. You realize in the 1500s, Tycho Brahe, which is a very famous uh, astronomer, said, No, there's 1,011 some-odd stars. He counted them all. He counted the stars. And another guy came on and said, No, you missed one. There's really 1,012. Something like that. You know? and then, and then Galileo made a telescope and then they made bigger ones. And guess what? You can't count them. All right. Now, how did
1: you could only count them in your?
0: Yeah. You can't even count all the ones that are there because you can't see them all. Now, where, where where did where did Abraham figure this one out? In Genesis fifteen five, where God says, look at the stars and see if you can count them. I'll make your, your descends as the sand of the seashore. It's long before they had a telescope. Well, God created the thing. He should know how many there are, right? Mountains and canyons in the sea. Here's a good one. Mountains and canyons in the sea. You know that the largest... I love watching these, these science channels go... And it fascinates me the little things that go all the way down to the bottom of the oceans and all that. You know, The Mid-Atlantic Ridge is a mountain chain 26,000 miles long. It goes around the earth, all the way into the Pacific. And the mountains are taller than any mountains on land. Now, where did they figure that one out before they had submarines? Well, you know, God created it, right? So He knows what's down there. There's mountains and canyons in the sea. And not only that, there's springs and fountains in the seas. Where'd they get that? Well, God created it, right? He knows. But the Bible says that there are fountains down in the sea, and they find it. You ever see those? I like that. Where they have these uh, thermal vents down. Along there, where they got all these like tube worms, and all. you ever see that? That's just cool, isn't it? You know, thousands of miles below the earth, in a place where nothing should live, you have got all kinds of animals thriving on these fountains that that boil up out of the bottom of the ocean. Now, this is you understand. This is long before anybody knew it was below the water. God knew. He had it all there. He, he talked about it. Not only that, he caught, there's another one where he talks about currents in the sea. Rivers in the sea. There it is, Psalms 8.8. 8. They didn't figure that one out until way late. There are actually rivers and currents that flow in the oceans. The Gulf Stream being one of them. That's long before they knew that. Here's one, the hydrological cycle. It talks about how the water comes down from the clouds and goes in the rivers and goes in the sea. You yet the sea is not full. It goes back up into the clouds and goes around and around and around. How long did it take them to figure that one out? The invisible structure of matter, Hebrews 1, three. the things that are seen are made by the things that are not seen. It's fascinating. I was just watching just last week, they were talking about the atom. And uh, if you take the nucleus and make it, you know, like about this big, the electrons around the atom are... Hundreds of miles away. If you blew an atom up to the size of where the nucleus was like this, the, the electrons around that are hundreds of miles away. Now go figure, you, you're mostly empty space. Really, we are. We're atomic, we're, we're mostly empty space. It's real. And when someone's an airhead, that's right, they are, you know, Um, but uh, where did that come from? Well, God created it, of course, right? Then the latest theory called nuclear string theory says even the atoms, the, the electrons, the protons, the basic building blocks of matter are made up of individual strings of matter of energy that come into existence. So really, there is no such thing as matter as we know it, it's just all energy. God stood out on the corner on the edge of nothing said let there be and there was and someday God is going to take it back and he's going to create a new heavens a new earth all living things reproduce after their kind this is fascinating this this really this is really what kills evolution here because all things reproduce after their kind okay a cat and a dog does not get together and have a third kind of animal alright it doesn't operate that way. Cats produce cats. Dogs produce dogs. And you see that there is a there is a really a sharp, almost impenetrable wall between species. Yeah.
1: If we, if, uh, according to evolution, really did evolve from apes, where are apes still being born? Where are humans being born at the same time?
0: Yeah. They can't answer that. Where'd you get the two sexes? Why not three or four? Look, the Bible is true. And now that, look at the health and sanitation issues in Leviticus. God, in the camp, God has certain rules for their sanitation. Did you know that? And why is that? Well, God knew all about sanitation long before we did. And He had rules that He told them how to get rid of their, their waste and how to keep the camp clean. All of that was for health purposes. And back in those days, that was incomprehensible to most of the people. But God knew exactly what needed to be done. Because, see, he created it. Here's another one, the circulatory system. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Now, when did they figure that out? Any doctors and nurses in here? 1800s, isn't it? Harvey, he's the one who figured it out. Somewhere in the 1800s. Back in the time of George Washington, our founding father, if you got sick, what did they do? They bled you to get rid of the so called impurities, not realizing. Well, folks, if if you if you're inclined to believe in evolution, just go read a first level book on anatomy and that will forever cure you of your evolutionary concepts. It's really weird. Last night I was reading about the urinary system. You say, that's weird. I am. i reading about the kidney. You know how amazing that thing is? Do you have any idea how amazing a kidney is? And not only that, it, it, it balances all the different electrolytes and, and all those different calcium, the potassium, the sodium, the chlorine. All that's kept in balance by this little pear sh- or kidney bean shaped organ in your body. That fish messes up, you're you're done for. And not only that, they can take your urine and tell you what's wrong with you by the, what you find in the urine because it, it's the filter. It, it's a, it's amazing. Yeah, it, it's a, it's amazing this thing. And then somebody says, "Well, isn't it wonderful how God evolved the or how the kidney evolved? They're nuts. They're crazy. All right." Thermodynamics, this is two basic laws of physics. Physics says nothing can be created or destroyed. It changes form. Matter can go to energy, energy to matter, but nothing is created or destroyed. The amount of energy in the universe is a constant. Well, where did that come from? Well, God stuck the amount of energy in the universe and it's remained a constant. And by the way, in Genesis 7, it says God rested from his creative work. So what does that imply? He's not creating anything else, right? He's not currently creating things. Okay?
1: We're simply continuing to
0: discover what he's creating. Yeah. And, and the universe is winding down. The universe is winding down. And if you read uh, and they study some of the scientists, and that, they say that, you know, assuming there is no God, there's coming a day when the universe is going to be completely wound down. That's going to be trillions of trillions of trillions of trillions of trillions of years in the future. There's going to come a day when there's no stars, no energy, no nothing. It's just a dead universe. But it's winding down. The Bible says that. The Bible talks about that. Prophetic accuracy. This is interesting. Prophecy. Look at the nation of Israel. What did God promise Israel? A land, right? He's going to keep His promises. What other ancient civilization went out of existence for... Over a millennia and came back. None. Someone said, tell me the Bible is true in one word. And the guy said, Jews. Look at them, The Jews. God's preserved his people. All right. Now that he's preserved their language. God's preserved nations such as Edom, Greece, and Babylon. Now, what the liberals try to do, is they try to post-date all the prophecies. But don't let them do that to you because that's not the way it works. But you read the book of Daniel. If you really understand the book of Daniel, he gives detailed information about empires that were yet to come. And he was right, 100%. So much so that the liberals can't, they say he has to have been written later because it's too accurate to have been written when Daniel wrote him. Well, you know, if you're the infinite God that knows everything in advance, it's no big deal to tell you what's going on, right? You said above time, you said above creation, you see everything as a consistent whole. Specific cities such as Tyre and Ezekiel 26 and Nineveh. I'm going to look at Ezekiel 26 just to show you this. This is really cool. Let me read Ezekiel 26. It says, verse 3, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, O Tyre, and will bring up many nations against you as the sea brings up its waves. They shall destroy the walls of Tyre, break down her towers, and I will scrape her soil from her and make her a bare rock. She shall be in the midst of the sea, a place for the spreading of nets, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God, and she shall become plunder for the nations. And her daughters on the mainland shall be killed by the sword. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Did that happen? Well, let's go back in history. Tyre was a very prosperous city in the Phoenician Empire. They were, they were sailors. They sailed all over the known world. Large city. And uh, Alexander the Great comes along and says, uh, he calls for their surrender and they tell him, forget it. And they have a large enough city. And see, and They have the boats. Alexander doesn't. So they were able to withstand a siege by Alexander the Great who brought up many armies against the city. And while he was there besieging the city, they went out and they built another city of Tyre on an island out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, about a mile off the seashore. They built another city there. And then one day they all hightailed it out to their new city. So what did Alexander the Great do? He took the old city, destroyed it, took all the rubble. And build a causeway out to the new city. He scraped that city clean, took all, this, all of the scraped it right off, and put it as rubble out all the way out to this other place where he besieged it, eventually destroyed the city of Tyre. And guess what that causeway is used for today? Fishermen come along and spread their nuts out to dry on this causeway. All right, this is pre written history. All right. Now, when you look at it, you say there's no way that Tyre's going to be knocked off. I mean, look at the city, huge. you know, all this. God knew it was going to happen. God predicted it in detail and advance long before. Other cities, Nineveh, he talked about Nineveh. It's interesting, he talked about Nineveh being overrun by a flood. Well, where was Nineveh built? Nineveh was built on the Tigris River. I think it was the Tigris River. And guess what happened to the Tigris one day? It overflowed its banks and washed away the wall of Nineveh, and the Babylonian army came in and took the city. Just like the prophecy said would happen. Individuals are mentioned long before their time. Cyrus in, in Isaiah 42 is mentioned 150 years before his birth. God says, I will raise up my servant Cyrus. That was 150 years before Cyrus was born, God knew his name. Individuals, God, God knew about Alexander the Great. He knew what Alexander the Great would do. Um, the 70 weeks of Daniel, when we get to our study in eschatology, it's pre-written history, detailed. It tells exactly what's going to happen. And it was fulfilled down to the very day. If you start, In fact, it says uh, it's going to take uh, 483 years from the time of the giving of the order to rebuild the, the wall of Jerusalem to the Messiah, the prince, who will be cut off. And if you do, if you convert that to days, it's 170. I, I got probably get this number wrong. 173,880 or something like that. You count the days and go from the time that building uh, on the wall was given. 173,880 days into the future, you get the triumphal entry of Christ, the exact day. Did God know His times? Sure He did. You know, 360-day calendar, which is the biblical prophetic calendar. The first advent, how many prophecies talk about the coming of the Messiah? Born in Bethlehem, right? Called a Nazarite, on and on and on. All of them fulfilled, exactly as predicted. The Bible has universal influence. No other book has had the universal influence that the Bible has had. Let me make sure we're at... Yeah, okay, last slide, good. No other book has been translated into so many different languages. Think of how many languages the Bible has been translated into, and they're still doing it now. More and more. No other book has had more influence on history and culture. Most of our culture, most of our laws come from precepts in the scripture, in the Bible. It's all there. No other book has had more influence in life transforming power of man. Look at this, life transforming. Think of the lives that have been transformed by this book. It's not just a religious book. It has changed people's lives. It's turned drunks and alcoholics into preachers. And no other book has endured for so long, been copied so accurately and faithfully through the centuries. None. The Bible is a unique book. It's different than anything else. All right, any questions or comments? We're a couple minutes early. but All right, next week we're going to look at inspiration, illumination, and all of that. So let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this day you've granted to us. Thank you for this book, and thank you that it's you preserved it and I pray that we would treasure it as we should in Christ's name Amen